Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Inner Entrepreneur. In today's episode, Paul and I continue our discussion around burnout and the various steps that we can take to relieve burnout. Today's episode is going to focus on our decompression stage. How do we get decompressed when we find out that we are burned out? We're in a bunch of bad habits that have been dominating our life, particularly around how we're running our business, the emotional impact it has on us in our lives and our business. And how do we get out of that situation? So join us today in this conversation as we continue our discussion around burnout and how to remedy burnout so that we can sustain our efforts and create the life that we desire as entrepreneurs. So let's get into it. Welcome to The Inner Entrepreneur, a place where soul meets strategy and passion meets profit. Success in business is about more than mastering the external. It's an internal game. Ready to play? Right, hello and welcome everyone. Hey Paul, how's it going? Excellent, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Doing well. Rolling into fall here. South Carolina. It's wonderful. Wonderful here. North Carolina, too, by the way. North North Carolina. Carolina. But that a big um, difference. It's we often it's the Carolinas. It's just a little further south. But I do love North Carolina. It's wonderful this time of year. It's a little hot, but rolling into fall. You know how I know football season and my favorite time of the year is fall and then rolling into the holidays. I, I should say American football. I know that's kind of a sand saying football to, to someone over in Europe like yourself. But <laughs> I know it's getting close to fall when the Little League World Series is on TV and that stuff's starting to flow through here, which is really cool. So it's getting to be a great time of the year here. Well, in in yeah. In Ireland, when we talk about North and South, obviously there's a huge political issue there. So you'd be very, <laughs> so you'd be very, but that's why I want to be very clear. So this player from Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland is enormous here. So, <laughs> so well, I would I, say, Paul, back in the 1800s, it wouldn't have been the same here. Back in the 1800s, if you would have yeah, said North and South Carolina, it would have been way different. But Hopefully in the next 200 years, we'll have gotten over it. So. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, here we are today. Right, that's right. the The Irish can hold grudges, though, can't they? <laughs> some, some can, yeah. Some of us not. Some of us. No, it's not. Which that's part of the wisdom I think we're dropping on the show a little bit is how to maybe let go of some of those grudges and some of those things that we can all evolve from and win on. Um, you know, well, ultimately, moving forward is all about letting go of the past, whatever that is. I think you know. I agree. I agree. All all around the world, that would be nice. Yeah. So, Paul, let, we're. Episode number three on our burnout series here, right? Because we've looked yes, at, yeah, we've the first episode we've talked about the phases or kind of stages of burnout, which were 10 stages that we talked about. And then the last episode, we covered the first step in how do you course correct? Like what happens if you discover that you're in burnout? What do you do now? And so now we're kind of going through the how-to of it. So yeah. step one was awareness, which is yeah. why the phases are so important. And then moving into awareness. And now we're today, we're going to be talking about decompression which is step two and and kind of addressing the burnout process yeah absolutely and 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 we'll do another little bit of reminder of why we're spending so much time in this whole burnout thing as opposed to just doing a deep dive into the business skills and we discussed this last week but i think it's a really important point to re-emphasize is that if you have business skills but you are crippled by burnout. The business skills are useless to you. You won't survive. Where if you get to the overwhelm stage, which drifts into burnout, which a lot of people in business will, if you master that, 
and you understand some of the things we're going to talk about here, then you have the opportunity to go and find the skills. So it's fundamental for if you skip beyond this point, then I, I think you've got to slow down and, un, and understand all this because the skills will come if you have the will and you have the awareness and you have the state of mind. It's well said. Well said. And it's interesting, too, because when you're thinking about it, I think especially around decompression in particular, I think what makes this work so hard is so much of it is emotionally driven. Like burnout is an emotional experience, right? Like if burnout was logical, you would just it would be identified if anything was logic, if it was only logic, like we've said before, you would follow the steps. Everybody would be multimillionaires. Businesses would be no issue. But it's not like that. It's the emotion. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about here is emotional mastery, which is really kind of the internal component of it. And that leads into, in my mind, when I think about burnout, when I think about points in my life when I was burned out, it was laden with heavy emotional burdens. And so I think learning about decompression is, I'm excited to get into the depths here. As you, you even got noted in your notes here, a little bit about the depths of it. So we're at the de decompression stage, which says, I know I have a problem, yeah. but now what? Yeah. I know of a problem. And I suppose the first point about decompression is that you know you have a problem and now you recognize I need to do something about it. But you're still in the problem. And the recognizing that you have the problem is enormous. The awareness is enormous because nothing will change without awareness. But the awareness by itself will shift it, but it won't fix it. And mm -hmm. so you now need the tools to fix it. And so you're in the depths of it. And one of the first things I would say is that it's very serious when you're in this burnout situation. It's potentially fatal for your business and it's potentially fatal for you. And I described as you, when you realize in the situation, you need to go to the emergency department you know something sometimes things happen you go yeah you know i i should look at this in the next months or whatever and sometimes you go i need to dial 999 <laughs> you know so when you're at this level of you know if, if you get it i described you know in, in the last session that i probably had got to a 10 when you're at that point you're only going one way if you don't very quickly resolve it, and that is you're breaking down, you're having it, you have a nervous breakdown. So, you need to address this. I referred the, last week to a guy I knew very well because his, his wife and my wife were close friends, and he had a business similar to mine, very different product set, but he was also in the, in, in the distribution business. And so, as we all around 2009-10, entered into very serious global recession. Really, really, really hit Ireland very, very hard. We're a small economy. And when the global economy is doing well, we do very, very well. And the global economy is hit, we're hit very, very hard. And we were hit very, very, very hard. Most of us had never seen anything like it. My father, who's now 86 and has been in business since he was, you know, in their 20s, had never seen anything like the hardship. And many people listening will have lived through and know what it was like. So we, all our businesses were hit. My business collapsed by 60%. I don't know exactly. I'm going to call this guy Mark for the sake of confidentiality. So I don't know what degree Mark's business was hit, but it was an enormous hit also. His wife and my wife were friends. And so 
I didn't have much communication with him, but I knew he was having similar problems in a business collapsing around him. And how do you deal with it? So this is when we talk about the tools of decompression. I began to look at my tools of decompression, and, and, and we talk a lot about them later. But I was doing decompression that was ultimately going to help me, and that is things like meditation. I was doing yoga. I was running. I was journaling. I was taking time. I mean, I was doing all of these things to help myself, and I was doing them continuously because it was very, very, very tough. We have a hot tub out in the back garden, and at one stage I would come in, and it was winter. I remember I would go up there late evening. I would sit in the tub, soak in the hot water, and I would look up at the stars and just soak it in. And I would spend maybe 30 minutes. I would spend the 30 minutes just in a gratitude practice. And now I wasn't feeling very grateful for what's going on. And I had, I'd written down this sheet at one stage, 10 reasons I love my job. And I can assure you, I didn't have much love for what was going on at the time. <laughs> but I wrote, but, but that didn't change the fact I could still come up with 10 reasons going, you know, okay, I have these challenges, but it's really good for these reasons. So I would sit and go, well, okay, the number one reason I love it is this. It really provides very well for my family. I'm so grateful for that. So I would do all these practices. So this was my routine of decompression, rebuilding myself. I'm, I remember my wife coming home one, one evening and I knew this guy was in a similar situation. So my wife one evening, she went down to pick up her friend to go out for the evening. And this guy, Mark, is sitting there on there in the kitchen at the counter and he's a bottle of whiskey. And he's having it. And he's having a short whiskey as my wife arrives. Fine. It's okay. Whatever you want to do. Except when she comes home from being out for the evening with her friend, which is three and a four hours later, he's still sitting there and the bottle of whiskey is almost gone. And so... I remember observing this at the time because I felt we had both been at a similar point on the road. And that point being under enormous pressure, enormous challenges, and having to find a way to deal with it. So we both had become aware there was a problem. And I'm not sure to what degree his awareness was of what he, his part of the problem was. Maybe he was just seeing it as a business problem and didn't see it was somehow he needed to shift and change. But his way of dealing with it was was alcohol. Um, the real crux of that was I slowly got stronger and better over a long period of time, <clears throat> but I recovered. And when I say I recovered, I slowly came out of feeling burnt out. I slowly grew. I slowly developed. And eventually I emerged out of that to the life I have today. And he just sunk deeper into it. He had a nervous breakdown. I, I I remember hearing of, of an event he was at at a dinner table with a lot of people in a, in a large function room, and he literally was under the table shaking because the man was having a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. And he never recovered. He never recovered from it. He just went downhill, and he passed away, I think, about a year and a half ago, probably in his late 50s. So to me, he just never recovered, recovered from that. So... When I say burnout and these challenges can be fatal, this is what I mean. It, 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 and I've no doubt all our listeners will tell people, will, will tell stories of people who lost everything. And, you know, it's a particularly sad story when someone loses their life. But, but also he's left a, they lived in a beautiful home, which is now gone. You know, his wife is now struggling, left in the aftermath, struggling financially. So there's so much chaos in the family. 
if you don't recognize you have this problem and now find a constructive way to to figure it to, to figure it out. But when you're in the eye of the storm, you you can't see that. And so my suggestion for someone listening who goes, Oh, I'm I, I you know, I'm in this situation. How do I start the decompression? My suggestion is the first thing they do is get away. They need to break from the situation they're in. Now, I would love to see someone, you know, taking a weekend off, taking a journal in one hand, a pen in the other hand, saying to their partner, kids or whatever, I'm going to the mountains for the weekend. I will see you on Monday morning or Sunday night or whatever. And literally going away and sitting down and getting a sheet of paper, no technology, just a, pe a pen and pad. Some of you will not be disturbed. That is my ideal uh, for someone as a starting point because that gives them the, they're in a pattern and that gives them the opportunity to break it. And you know, that it's funny, Paul, to me, well, not funny, it's very tragic, actually, the story you shared, but it's the responses that you chose versus the, the path that Mark chose yeah. and the outcomes of that. It's very similar situations, but the difference is the way we respond to scenarios is what ultimately defines us. And he ran away from the emotional heaviness, all the pain that he was feeling, all the the, the fear, all the, the change, fear. all that um, through alcohol. There's a lot of people that choose that path. It's yeah. an easy initial relief. Yeah. You feel the relief. You do. There's a heavy consequence in the long run. And I think you you illustrated that perfectly in that story. It's a tragic story. But I think also, you know, it's the heaviness of that. The way we manage and deal with problems are really what define us. It's not when things are good. It's when things are hard. That's what's going to kind of really set the direction of our life. And I think you illustrate that very strongly. But too, Paul, I can already hear the pushback from people that are knee deep, neck deep in burnout and they're running a business. Yeah. How can I quit? How can I get away? What do you mean? Like, so if, if so, if you can't, so let's do a couple of things address some of that pushback potentially. And, and if you, if we're going to look at alternatives, like do we do that in small bites where we maybe take moments of time where we're checking out and pulling away if we can't get away from a full weekend? The answer is obviously yes, you have to do that. What you have to remember is that everyone in that situation, including me when I was there, Everyone has that experience, has those set of repetitive thoughts that said, it's different for you, but I can't, I can't, I can't. Now, now this is why I said earlier, some conditions you're in require, uh, I have a sore shoulder, torn rotator cuff, uh, and periodically I go to my physio. Eventually, if it doesn't get better, thankfully it seems to be improving. Eventually, it doesn't get better. I have to go and get something done surgically. Hopefully, I won't. But it's, it's, I mean, if I don't do that for several years, it might be uncomfortable, but it's not serious. It's not a dial 999. If I suddenly feel like I'm having a heart attack now, I shouldn't put that off for two years. I should stop the call and dial 999. And that, that's what I'm saying about you have to, you have to realize if you're in that situ situation, you may need to take drastic action. Nothing changes without action. I mean, knowledge is not powerful. Knowledge acted upon is powerful. So nothing will change if something doesn't, if you don't take different action. 
And we, we've said this in previous episodes, your, your whole being, everything about you that has brought you to where you are, your beliefs, uh, which, 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 which lead to the emotions you feel, which lead to the actions you take, all of these things, which we call our personality. Um, it's that set of behaviors that has led you to here. And if you want to be somewhere different, you need to radically change it. We use the example of if I give you a sheet of music and I ask you to play from the sheet of music, but I don't like the tune, I need to change some of the notes. I need to change the key. I need to change the beat. Or you can only play the same tune. So so that's maybe I'm dodging around the question, but I'm first saying you're in a very serious situation. If nothing changes, you will end up where I believe you will end up where Mark ends up. He lost his business, which lost his home, which was tragic for his wife. Unfortunately, he had family. He had two sons working in the business with him as well. So they lost, so they lost their careers. His wife was left dealing with, you know, predators. It, 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 it was just a mess. And so I'm trying to say you're in an emergency zone. You need to, you need to fix it. But yes, if you cannot get away for an entire weekend, I've said weekend. I haven't said take time out of your week. I've said surely you can on a Friday night at eight o'clock lock everything down and go to your nearest and dearest and go, honey, I need to be gone. I need to. I need to go to a cabin in the woods. I'm gonna rent a motel, but I'm not gonna switch my PC on my phone. I'm just gonna get a journal out. I think that quiets the mind. And it, what we're trying to do here in the decompression is. You're in this state of mind we've spoken about before. You can't think clearly. And when someone responds and goes, I can't take the time to do that. It's that state of mind that is staying there. And the decompression is you're in that state of mind. It's chaotic. And we're trying to pull you into a calmer state of mind that might go, there's a problem here and I need to, and I need to fix it. But yes, something I used to do regularly was uh, my office is in Dublin, which is about 45 minutes from my home in beautiful Wicklow in the mountains. Uh, and on my way home, uh, I would take time out and I, there's some beautiful spots I could stop. So I would detour up into the, the mountain. I wouldn't tell anyone if my wife was expecting me home at whatever, 5 p.m., 7, whatever time. I would arrive home at that time, but I would leave the office early. And I would drive up and I would park somewhere and I would, and I would, you know, I would meditate there. I would do two things: always meditate there, and bring a notepad so I, so I could do some journaling and get my, and get my thoughts out. So I would do that periodically. Um, so, so the answer to your question is: if someone goes, I can't take twenty-four hours out to save my life and to save my business. Well, do two hours, do mm. do four hours, do six hours, do eight hours. You have to start with taking the time, taking the time to just look at exactly where you are and get a very clear picture of where you are and begin to get out of that heightened state of anxious mind that is now creating the problems for you. So it's a big pattern break, Paul. You got to break the pattern of the frenzy. Break the pattern, yeah. And, and if you're telling, if you're, I would also say, if you're telling yourself that you can't take time, you're absolutely in a space where you need to take time. If yep. you're saying you can't, then you have to. It's yes. a must that you do it because you're in the throes of that anxious, chaotic mind. And I think too, Paul, your point, I love the, 
even if you had to slide down your work day, you got home at the same time, but you took two hours in the evening, you left the office early and you went and sat in your car at a park, no mm -hmm. phone, put your phone, turn your phone off and just be with yourself. That, that is decompression. The key point is right. Is getting away from the technology, the people and sit with your own self, like be in your own energy. And, and sometimes initially, if you're not good at journaling or doing any of that stuff, just sitting with yourself and yeah. doing nothing can be a great way to just start the decompression yeah. process, right? Like ultimately, because it, it takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's unpleasant. I, I used to have a, um, a restaurant I used to pass on the way home. And sometimes I would aim to get in there about 3.30 in the afternoon. I would go in and they had this like soup and brown bread. I would go in, get a table, bring my notepad, leave my phone, everything in the car. I would go in there and I would go, I've got an hour here before I got to go and collect the kids or do whatever. I would go in, I would order a bowl of tomato soup. I can remember, sit down there. I would have this and I would just chill there for an hour. Just have a blank sheet of paper. Um, I used to do a thing called free writing, which is like slightly different to journaling out of a notepad and I would sit down and obviously there's a load of stuff in my mind and I would just start writing. Now, if you'd looked over my shoulder, you wouldn't have been able to read it. So what I didn't, and when I was finished with it, I shredded it, burnt it, got rid of it. So this was, you know, the whole truth, the full truth and nothing but the truth. There was nothing, you know, the things you won't say to anybody, they were all on the sheet of paper because mm. no one there, no one was going to stumble across my journals and go, Oh my God, Paul, that's what, that's what you were thinking. Yeah. So this was complete honesty. And I would just get it all down the sheet of paper. And the thing about it is, and I challenge anyone to do this. Um, the most I ever got free writing was about three full cap pages. Although you start in chaos and after about a page and a half, it's, it, you can't write as fast as you can think. So when you start putting these down, your mind has to has to reorg. It has to slow down. It has to put, has to put structure. And sometimes I'd find that something chaotic in my mind would only take a line or two to to articulate. And I'd go, mm. then I would move on to something else. After about two and a half to three pages, I was usually dry. I'd usually gotten most of. It's it's like that it's like that layer. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that layer was taken off. Mm. Now turn it scene page. Now the strate now the strategic, the solution mind begins to emerge. Because calmness has come. I've taken the chaos, taken the layer of chaos off. It's in the sheet of paper, throw it in the bin. Okay. What are the what are the five big challenges I'm working on? Now I'm writing clearly. Okay, one two, three, four. What's the biggest? Where should I, I should start with this? Okay. Let's, let's get a sheet of paper, put that. And in my mind begins to really become organized when I do this. Okay. So challenge one is this. Okay. Let's see if I can start brainstorming. Now the brainstorming again, I might get two or three pages of brainstorming out. I mean, I would leave that. And if I only did an hour or so of that, I would leave like get into my car. It was like, I don't know if you've done that. I'm sure you've done journey. Yep. That was like therapy for me. Paul, it's interesting you say that because one of the most therapeutic moments in my journey of reconnecting with myself was 
I did this visualization where I was talking to my parents and they weren't there obviously, but in my mind they were. And I wrote out a letter, dude, like I was on my computer doing it. I was a psychopath. Like I was insane. The stuff that was coming out of me, yeah. but, but, but you said some really important that the stuff that was coming out of me. Exactly. It was, it was coming out. It was like, and it was like exploding out of me. And it was because it, it was all this emotion, but to yeah. your point, what ended up happening when I was at the top of that experience, that just kind of overflowing and you're chaotic, nothing's making sense. It's anger. It's all this hurt. And the more I did it, I did start to slow down. And what I ended up coming back to eventually was empathy for my parents, empathy for myself, realizing that they were doing the best they could, all that yeah. anger, all that hatred that I was feeling. That was because I just had all this stuff bottled up in myself for so long that I hadn't allowed it to come out. And yeah. To what you're describing, Paul, is the healing process that can take place when we simply allow the things that we feel, no matter how harsh and cruel and whatever they may be, to allow them out in the world. They're out of us now. We're not hiding them. We're not stuffing them down. And to your point, you don't have to sh don't share it with people. No. I, you, you bet your butt I never shared that with anyone. Like, I'm not sharing no. that. No. It doesn't need to be. No. But it's because it's for ourselves. It's, yeah. but that clarifies the inner world that helps with all those heavy emotions. And it does, you get these moments of like, okay, wait a second, things start to slow down and you can now get to insight, which that's yeah. kind of like what can come from decompression is insight, isn't it? Because I think, and, and this is, it leads us in kind of the two things that saved your life. And I think that's a lot of the, these two pieces play together because you're able to decompress and then you're able to find insight through this process. So maybe we want to talk a little bit about because we've gone. Well, yeah, I mean, if I, my decompression moment. So um, when I talk about a lot of these things I did, they were after my, when I talk about my journeying, my going off and doing my, you know, going to the coffee shop, these were my maintenance program. They, were, they weren't my initial decompression. But you asked the question if someone's not willing to give a weekend to it. So yeah, they're going to help. My decompression, I've spoken to this before, was flying to London on a Thursday evening and spending Friday, 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 Saturday, Sunday, Monday on Tony Robbins' UPW. Um, we've also spoken about the fact that my brother came on the weekend with me and he had a mediocre experience. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, well, yeah, that was it. And I had a life-changing experience. But I went to it in a different state of mind. And he obviously didn't have the same level of issues going on in his personal, professional life. As, so he, he, he was a different place. But that was my that was my decompression. And when I did the firewalk, I got into a heightened emotional state. And when I did the visualization exercise afterwards, um, during the visualization, I got to see the road I was on, and I got to see the road I could go on. So that was my that was my decompression. Um, so I think, yeah, I so said that I was at the edge, and that took me down. So when I came back from that weekend. I had burst. To me, decompression is like bursting the balloon. It's mm. like it's going to explode, and you let and you and you let the air out slowly, which is maybe better than bursting. But it's like, and then when it's out, you can kind of go, okay, I got to deal with some stuff now. So me going away on that weekend was me coming down, letting the air out. Um, Prior to going away, I hadn't moved into the awareness phrase. I didn't real I didn't realize really what the problem was. 
over that weekend, I did, I became aware of what the problem was and I decompressed enough to go, okay, now I have to deal with this. Um, and I came home much calmer, much clearer, just to jump in and stay. I didn't come home with solutions. So it's not as if I magically went, oh, I know how to fix this magic wand, Harry Potter, bing. No, <laughs> I didn't have it wasn't what I, but what it was was now I I saw two two poles. I saw the guy that was burning out on the edge, and I gotta go. Oh, I can see where he's taking me. I am not going there. And I and the other side was when you do when you when you get in that decompression, you just come you just come down enough to see where you're going on. So the first thing that saved my life was that decompression. That, Oh, right. Okay. I can see where I am, but you're still stuck in it. And so the second, the second part of the decompression for me, or the second thing that saved my life was taking time to think. Now that very much comes back to what we've alluded, this journaling, this writing. And when I say taking time to think, I want to be very, very clear here. I don't mean ruminating. I don't mean getting thoughts and spinning them around in your mind. I mean structured thinking. And that may mean, okay, on my way home on a Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to two hours. I'm going to pause that restaurant. I'm going to order a coffee, a bowl of soup, and a nice brown bread. I'm going to sit down. Mm, I have two hours to collect my kids from school. And I get a sheet of paper. Okay, so I, and I, and I start that process of thinking. In the early days, I always started it with a page or two of free writing. And that's just, uh, uh, you know, that's just clearing, the, clearing the, um, the emotional mess off. You kind of clear all that off. And then you go, what do I, so it's structured now. You're going, what do I need to work on? I have two hours here and I need to leave this restaurant at 4.30 because I'm picking my kids up for school was often the case for me. And, and I'm not leaving it before 4.30. So it's now uh, 3.15, I'm done. Why, you know you're not done, mate. You're sitting here. You're sitting here with this pen in your hand and you're going to continue to work through it until 4.30 when you pay your bill and you leave the restaurant. So there was that structure to it and it was that discipline and it was very, very, and it was very, very focused. Um, initially, what I was doing was identifying problems, going, I need to fix this. 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 Fix this. Um, I did them all on paper. I still do them all on paper as opposed to digital. When you have a PC in front of you, there's too many distractions. I can, oh, I need to check this. Oh, I need to piece of paper. There's no distractions other than the piece of paper. So I still do that. And what I do, to, what, what I do today, I have, I, I have a, I have a folder here uh, on my desk. And just a plain brown folder. And this is a project I'm working on at the moment. So I would then create the 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 the, the things I was working on and I would put put them into folders. I go, what am I working? I'm working on this. And I would begin to think through. And I would take the sheet of paper. Once I would take it out of my notepad once it was done, I'd put it and I'd put it into it. And what I found was my mind began to slow down. I, the, the wonderful thing about these simple things, they're in my hand and I would carry them around in my briefcase. Average, there was could have been about five of them there. Um, 
the moment think of a couple there because they're always replaced by something else you're working on. The wonderful thing about it from a psychological point of view, maybe, was that I would start working on this project. I would think about it. I would write about it. And then I would, when I was finished, would take the actions, rip sheet of paper and put all my notes into that. Now, what I just done there, if you think about it, is I had taken it all out of my head, structured thinking, put it there. It's complete. Take the sheets, close the folder. I'll think about that next Wednesday afternoon when I sit in there. You know, or, or maybe I have actions. If I have action steps to take, I would normally finish with the last sheet going, okay, so the five steps I got to do now, or one step, whatever. I would know, put them in the folder. But I've given my mind a beautiful message now. I've given my mind a symbol that says that challenge, that project is in this folder. It's not in here. I've mm. taught it. I've taught it through on paper. I've taken everything out. There's nothing else I need. I don't need to ruminate about this. There's nothing else I need to think about this. I've come up with five next steps. Those five, I don't even, I don't ask them what the five next steps are. I may not even remember. I don't need to. They're listed one, two, three, four in this. And I've scheduled when I'm working this again. When I go into the office on Friday morning or whatever, I'm going to take my next steps in the, And you, you've given them a wonderful message to your mind. You've trained it to your mind that goes, that's I take that off the shelf and I'll put it over there Friday morning of dress. It's a it's a wonderful way of beginning to take compartmentalize and take things off your mind. It's and it's it's a, it's a method I've developed for myself uh, that has become wonderfully productive and wonderfully healing. Paul, that's amazing. How, how so? When you is this something that you do? regularly is this daily weekly like have you how long i know you i know you a little bit of like i know you've been doing this work for a very long time so it's probably evolved over the years but what's it typically look like for you when you do this um i never go anywhere without a writing pad and and if you saw this writing pad at the moment you'll see it's it's full of notes and it's falling apart the the, the covers <laughs> off you can see it there and, and it's a mess now, you also probably know that I've spent the past five weeks down in our home in Spain mm -hmm. and on, on holiday. And the wonderful thing about uh, being down there is we get to spend lots of times on the beach, uh, lots of afternoons on the beach. I never go to the beach without my riding pad. Never. Now, like you might go, why don't you relax? That is me relaxing. I find that I find the very so first to answer your question, I never go anywhere without my writing pad because it's so therapeutic. So when I'm for example, when I when I go away somewhere like that, um if I sit on the beach, I will I I could spend lots of, if I get an idea, I will pursue it and I, and I'll work it out in paper. Um if I sit on an airplane, I mean I love particularly when I do a long haul flight uh, and I'm, I'm privileged that I only do long haul flights in business class. So I've lots of space, but you, you come up to my business class uh, seat and, and you've lots of room and space. You're going to see this guy sitting there with, you know, no pad and all this sort of stuff. So, but the, how relaxing that is for me at this stage. So the, that structure is loose, but I will every week in my diary go, I need to spend time working on something and I will allocate time to think. Um, I'm not going to say I always have the discipline to do it, 
it is one of those things that I go and I need to be a bit more disciplined to do it, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere with me. So every project, every project I'm working on is has a folder now. And, and at, at this point in time, thankfully, I've narrowed it down to really, there's probably two main projects, two or three main projects I'm working on at the moment. And those projects will always be with me. Literally, uh, I, I don't take these folders to the beach, but I, <laughs> but if I travel anywhere, I mean, I'm, weekend after next, I'm going to London to, 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 to we're going to London to spend a weekend with our son. I will take these with me, so I will spend time. So I think it it becomes a it becomes a habit. I think if you can allocate a specific time each week to do it, I think it's really really useful. So. When I talk about those two things, saying in my life, if I hadn't gone through the decompression, I would have never gotten to the stage of clear of, of clear thinking. So you have to do that. It's part of you have to burst that balloon and go, okay, now I start thinking. And now you begin to have a clear and organized mind. The other wonderful thing, uh, wonderful thing it does is it teaches you a pattern of success. And uh, I, I, I wrote a, a, a tweet a couple of weeks ago and it said, I am very successful. And it wasn't meant, for a reader, it wasn't meant to come across as arrogant. I can't remember exactly what it said, but some of the fact, I am very successful. What makes me very successful? What makes me very successful is I set a goal and I achieve it. Hmm. But that goal might be today I'm going to, spend an hour and a half with uh, Brandon recording a podcast. I do that. I'm successful. So if we let other people define what our success is, we don't feel successful. If we start defining ourselves, you're going to find in any given day, you're going to find a dozen things that you can go, yeah, I, I am successful. I do these things. And you build a muscle. So it's the same thing as having a structure like this. You're beginning to teach your mind that I have a process of working through things. The people that work for me now know that I do this. They know that I will have a number of projects I'm working on. And we've discussed this because we're working on a very big future of the business project at the and it's a long term. Um, and myself and my COO, who's been with me for about 20 years, we're talking to our financial controller who's only with us a couple of years. So he's new to, the, new to our process. And we're kind of going, hey, we're working on this. We have a timeline of five years for what we're doing here. And uh, we're going, when we're working out all these plans and we're talking it through, and we're kind of not that worried about whether or not these plans are the right plans because we have a process. And our process mm. is we're working on this project. This is the goal. And we start working on it. And we get a great, we get a great idea. We get there and we go, that was good. But how about this? And, and what we, our experiences over the years, that when we follow this process, we come up with great outcomes, really good outcomes. We solve a lot of really good problems, uh, but they're not always the resolution we thought we'd come up with, but we move through a process. So I, I think the process trains your, uh, trains your mind. Um, but we should probably just circle back around. I mean, I, I I'm, we're probably moving a little bit advanced because we're moving into stuff for people who, which maybe we spend more time in the future for people who are 
out of the burnout and are now moving into some more strategic and planning and thinking for uh, for for their business. Um, so when I said two things saved my life, the ability to decompress, if I hadn't decompressed, well, two things, if I hadn't decompressed, I wouldn't have solved the problem. And then I created decompression habits. So this is a little bit like going to the gym. You don't lose the weight, get fit, and the job is done. You lose the weight, get fit, and you go, now I need a maintenance program. And the maintenance program is easier because if you're X number of kilos overweight and you haven't exercised in three years, to get into shape and become fit is a lengthy process. But when you get there, it's easier, but you have, you have to keep it up. So my suggestion is that when someone goes through the decompression, so I used a number of tools. I mean, I know you're a meditator as well. Meditation was a massive tool for me. I'm not sure how I would have got through it. At some stage, I think we will do a a, a podcast just on the benefits of meditation um, for business owners or entrepreneurs. Um, but it was a massive tool, tool for me. The journaling, the structured thinking and writing was a massive tool for me. The getting away was, a, the, the and I still do that, the periodic time, time away. Um, was a massive tool for me. I would do yoga regularly, exercise, massive. Um, I don't run anymore, but I cycle now. So, so having these, all of these things in in your diary and getting control of your diary. So you're the one that decides what you're going to do at your time. That that's really really important. And and you'll find what works well for you. Um, and if they they help you to decompress help you get back on the right track, then realize that this is what you have to keep doing, to, not to the same, same extent. I will always, um, a couple of times a year, do. I mean, I'm always doing training courses, but I'll also make a point. Uh, I, I'm now planning one, um, a meditation thing I'm going away on in November. I'm traveling to Sweden or Switzerland to do it, I can't remember, but I'm going away. And part of that for me is, the decompression thing. Part of that is that it, uh, I'm very much in the maintenance zone now, but part of that is I know on a Friday morning on my own, I'll travel to the airport. I will, I'm flying to Zurich. Uh, I will then travel to, to, to the hotel. So there's a whole process of me get, of giving that. And I will spend two, two and a half full days in a med, on a meditation mindset uh, retreat. I went to one during the summer. Uh, I told my wife I was going to. It was a long day, a, a, a full day meditation and mindset. And my wife was over in Spain at the time. And I said, I said to her, I'm going to go to this. And she said to me, Paul, you could give that seminar. Why are you going to? And the reason I'm going to is because I need to be continually learning, continually. It, it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you think you know. You go to, you go to something like that. Keith Cunningham said something that stuck in my mind. I was over in Austin, Texas with him at one of his seminars. And he said he'd been, he said he was traveling somewhere. He was going to the airport in the morning at 5 a.m. in the crazy hour. He's going crazy hour in the morning. I'm driving to the airport and I see all these guys out, these guys and ladies out running. And he's going, do you ever notice at 5 a.m. in the morning, the people you see running are the people who don't need to? Like it's like you've got these mega fit people out churning it up and going, they, I need to, they don't need to. So I, to me, uh, kind of my wife said to me, you don't need to that. 
but I want to do that because I want to stay in, stay in continuous training. So I would urge people in all of these things going to be really useful for decompre decompression, but now schedule a plan for yourself. Now schedule, how do I keep that? At times you'll slip off. That's just human nature. And when you slip off, you, but you have the tools that work for you. And I know I need to schedule a couple of away training programs a year. I know I need to schedule thinking time. I, I know all of these things and I just need to have the discipline to do them. Um, so when you're in this very raw state of the decompression and you've taken the time out, whether it be a weekend or a couple of hours, You've cleared the head. You've done the two or three pages of, of, you know, clearing off the the chaos, the emotion, and you've a clear, you've a clear mind. You, you've articulated some of your problems in paper, so your mind's a little bit clearer now to start start planning. Um, there were four steps that helped me, and the first one was personal vision. Now, Paul, we're, real quick. We're talking, so as you've gone through the decompression stage, you're now kind of, you're in more of a structured thinking component. You've like, and I want to say something too that I thought was very interesting as you were sharing is decompression in many ways is what we do to, to get all the crap out of us. That's not us. It allows us to get to more of who we are at the core, right? Cause this is interesting to me, like how you're leaning into a lot of the decompression and now we're going into the structured thinking side of it. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to get to those core things, the things that we're going to talk about right now that really matter while we're in that chaotic state. Decompression allows space to like all that garbage to leave us. And now there's space. Now there's space for discovery. Now there's space for us to recognize, wait, there's something else inside of me that I didn't notice because I was clouded by all this madness. And so I find it interesting, though, to me, your decompression leading into your structured thinking actually helps people get to the core of who they are. And at the end of the day, Paul, I think you and I, the huge tenets of what we talk about are being authentic to who you are. Because when you started your entrepreneurial journey, you were running a business and living a life that wasn't authentic to you based on the way your father had built that business. That was authentic to him, but you knew it wasn't for you. Yeah. So your process of decompressing, going through the burnout phase, and then now sharing what you've done to kind of remap all that is how you can go from chaotic burnout craziness to decompress, calm, mindful, and then creating clarity around who you are and structuring a life that you want to live. doesn't happen overnight, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But yeah. I love this because it leads into now where you're going to talk about the next four kind of components of your writing. So I just wanted to say that because it's... it's So the authenticity is key. Living completely true to your authentic self and understanding what that, what that means. If you are on that self-connected, self-centered place, you never get to overwhelm. You never get to uh, burnout. We get to those places because we lean out of that. And to some degree, the burnout ha happens. So my example would be, and I spoke with the fact that of sitting in my office and going, will I get, to, you know, will the ambulance come in time to come in time to save my life? Because I was getting these palpitations all, all, all the time. So after, you know, after decompression went through all this and I came at the other side and I felt calm, but still the challenges to face. 
So what eventually what happened is Cam settled down and the palpitations were gone. But a lesson had been learned. And the lesson was that when my heart started racing, it was a message. So I, I came up with this thing that goes, my mind's a goddamn liar, but my body always speaks the truth. So my That's mind will go, yeah, Paul, everything's cool. You're great. You're on top of this. My mind will bullshit me all day long. But your body you and everyone else, yourself <laughs> and everyone else. Like that, your body, your body never does. Your body never mm -hmm. does. Your body doesn't tell you you feel great when you feel tired. It mm -hmm. doesn't. So, the lesson I learned was that, um, and I used to go to a lovely lady who was a shiatsu pr practitioner. Unfortunately, she doesn't practice anymore. But I used to go to her, and she was great for helping me through these things. And I would go to her, and I would go, "She, uh, how are you doing? I'm going great, Trish. Everything is great." But I've been having palpitations for the past couple of weeks. And I go, and I, go I only noticed them when I meditate. But, the, but my awareness of now coma has gone, hold a sec, these are telling you. So we would have a, a conversation or whatever, but it would be an exploration because I'd be going, what's the message? What are you trying to tell me? And so <clears throat> I would then go, ah, it was triggered by this and I need to address this. And I began to learn that the palpitations my heart was telling was was guiding me. So if I'd been listening to that on day one, I would have never gone to a mess because it would it, it just wouldn't have let me. But when you ignore that and you and the more you ignore that, you more you stop being yourself. You move into someone else's versions of uh, of you. You're living what the world wants you to be, what your parents want you to be, what everyone uh, everyone's expectations of what Brandon wants to be, and you start living on that. And the further you move into that mask the more stress you experience, and that's what takes you down the road. Now you've gotten so, so what we're really talking is, now you've gotten so far down that road, it's really painful, but now getting back to authenticity is a hell of a job. I don't think most people ever, ever, ever get back there. So if you stay in that place of authenticity, um, you never find yourself in, in burnout. The decompression of that moment <clears throat> You've recognized it and you begin to just acknowledge it, let stress fall from your body and just drop into a place where you really go, okay, now I'm on the long road back. I got to get back there. And, it's, and, and, I, and now I'm fighting with all these tendencies and how my brain is wired and I got to work my way back there. And that's, and that's the journey. Um, Oh, it's funny. It's almost it's it's almost like the the burnout. What we're experiencing is our body showing us we're way out of whack. Because you know, there's an it author is, that yeah. I that that's it, right? And I love it because there's there's two authors that I think are very relevant to what we're talking about now. Um, Alice Miller's Alice Miller was a psychiatrist in the early 20th century. Brilliant woman. She really helped me a lot in my journey. She wrote a book called The Body Never Lies and how. Yeah. We carry that stuff in our Dr. Alexander Lowen, same thing. He created bioenergetics. His whole principle teaching is around our body never lies to us. It shows us the way. And to your point, like the palpitations were not the problem. The no. things that were causing the mess. palpitations, exactly. They're the reminder to us. So if we frame it from that perspective, the burnout and all these symptoms are actually blessings. They're showing us. Yeah. We're out of whack. The anxiety, the depression, all that stuff is actually our body saying, bro, we're it, things are awry. We got to do we got to make some adjustments here or or it's going to get worse. I love that because 
it ties back. That's really the un, like the big message here is like our bodies are wise and intelligent. They're always telling us the truth. Yeah. And it's getting back to the authentic self. Is the key. And, and, and so even at that level of burnout and, and my, so it's like the, the palpitations are gentle and they're gently calling. But if but you keep ignoring, they get louder and louder and louder. And burnout, I describe myself as being in the edge, that level 10 of our 10 steps. Now that inner self is screaming at you. And that tension between the inner and the outer self is so tense. And it, that you're experiencing a stress in the world, but that's you're living so far from your authentic self that you're in so that you're in so much pain, and that's what you're experiencing. And I'm thinking, if someone has clicked onto this podcast and go, well, I, I I thought these guys were talking about entrepreneurial stuff. Like <laughs> I, I signed up to run a better business and make loads of money. I could forget this crap. I got to ask you a question if that's what you're thinking. If you are have if you have option A, a calm, clear, focused, disciplined mind, or you have a chaotic mind, which mind do you think is going to make you the millionaire you want to become? Which is going to create the life you want to get? The answer is very, very simple in the story I told earlier of my friend Mark. Mark is six foot under because he ignored that. It was too scary for him, whatever, ignored that. And he opened the bottle of whiskey. By the end of the evening, he felt great. He felt drugged and he, he went to sleep. It killed him. I, I went back. It was hard. Do not get me wrong. It was difficult. But out of that, I created the life I, want to, I, I wanted to live. And I created a life for myself today that I know most people would dream of to have the freedom and resources I have, full control over my diary. I know very few. To me, it's normal. It's how I live my life. But I know as I engage with people, I realize, no, it's exceptional. Most people don't have that. They don't have that freedom. So th that that's the two extremes. One is creating the life you want to live. One is destroying your life, destroying your family. And it's all about listening to that voice uh, of, of the authenticity. Uh, so that's that's so important. What I'm trying to do is, is so, so it's so important because you think you're listening to this, you're going, I want to find out how to bloody make, run my business successful, make money. And what we're saying is you're going to have to get your headspace right. Because if you don't get your head, your, your head in the right space, you will never get there. When I used to go up to my office more frequently, I used to come very early sometimes, and it was a beautiful gym beside in the sauna. He used to go in there regularly. This guy's sitting there. I'm not interested in football, soccer, as we call it over here. <laughs> but there were lots of local guys. And I remember hearing these two guys talking about these young Irish. They were big into local football. But these young Irish guys, very talented, who were picked up by scouts to go and play for the big teams in the UK. So you're talking major op opportunity to become a phenomenally successful, you know, Football player earning a hundred thousand euro a week or whatever, something like yeah. And they talked about the fact that most of them didn't make it. I I know nothing about football, but I was really interested because I'm interested in success and psychology. So I'm sitting in the sauna and listening to these guys. Uh, and these guys are just interested in football, but they teach me something. And the the lesson is they're going and they're talking about why the guys and they're going. They, they see these guys go over. They move over to London. And then, but they're coming back, you know, well, 
weekends and all this sort of stuff. He said, the problem is what they need to do was to block out maybe two years of the life and focus exclusively on this. But they couldn't do that because they came home and two things were really interested in them, women and wine. They came home and they wanted the girls and nothing wrong with that. They wanted, they wanted to go out and have a good time. They wanted a party. They wanted a drink and they wanted women. And that's completely natural. I'm not saying there's a problem with that, but what I'm saying is they who were given a unique, a unique opportunity and they need, and they need to focus on that. So success comes out of discipline and comes out of that clear mind. It mind, it does not come out of chaos. It does not come out of lack of discipline. So I would say to people, the difference between the young lad who ended up getting the professional football career was that ability, was the mindset. It wasn't their ability to kick the ball. It was the mindset to, to focus on what they want to achieve and stay in the game long enough to become really good. They all basically had the same talent, but it was the mindset. So what we're talking about here is you want to be really, really successful. What's going to... And you know, because we've discussed this in the last podcast, that 95% of businesses won't care what you think the business thing. You think you're skilled to kick the ball, you're skilled to be in business? No, it's your mindset. We're trying to get your mindset. Now, we're probably running close to the end of this, uh, Brandon. So we will we get onto these four steps? Let's, I think. Or do you want to? Because I think we can, we still have enough time to where I think. Okay. We because we got. Yeah, there, let's talk about them briefly, and if we want to, if we want to expand on them next next session, we can talk before we jump into the redirect. Yeah. So, so, um, so what I want to do here is, you know, I want to make sure that we're not having an advanced that we're not having an advanced conversation for a beginner who wants to go, guys. Too much information here. I I'll do the decompression. Where do I go? What do I do? And I would say. As you emerge, as you've done the decompression, you've cleared your head. I'm going to suggest four steps you you take just to give a particular structure. Because if you're under stress, a structure is going to be helpful. And those four steps is first, when you have a clear mind now, you've you've cleared away, you've blanked sheet of paper. Simply create a vision for your life. Oh, that sounds complicated. No, it's very very simple. Just start writing down what do I want. I mean, I. What do I want my life to look like? I mean, ideally, what's the big dream here? What's your ideal income uh, or your ideal income <laughs> outcome? <laughs> and when I'm when I'm having those sort of thoughts at this stage of my life, I know with the project I'm working on now, two projects, I tend to plan five years ahead. And the reason I plan five years ahead is because if I plan, if I start off vision six months ahead, 12 months, then my mind's going to go, Paul, you can't achieve that in six or 12 months. But if I roll in out five years, my mind can believe almost anything in five, year, in five years' time. If I was to go, I'm going to have 10x my income and net worth in 12 months' time. Is nobody buying that? I'm not buying that. If I go, Paul, in the next five to 10 years, you could do that. My mind's going to go, I don't know if you're going to, but I have to accept you could. Hopes, mm. and now we're in a different space. I could possibly achieve this. So I want you to create a personal vision for your life. What would be my in five or ten years' time? Where am I? Who, whom the man? Who, what? Who's the man? The woman I am? 
what what life what life am I living? So start about creating and just make it simple, make it informal. What's the life I'm living? Be very careful that the life you're living. I didn't say what's the career, what's the income. They will be a part of it. But what's 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 when I talk about my my values? We'll do another session of values. But if I would say, if I was to lift up my diary here and show my values because they come everywhere with me, you would see that my number one my number one value, which is what I focus my time on, it's the most important thing for me is my family, my wife, my children, my friends. That's the most important thing in the world for me. Then there's my personal spiritual development. Then there's my well-being, my mental, emotional, physical well-being. The number four in that, and the, these are the four things that guide everything I do in my life. If you followed me around for a week, you would go, oh, Paul only ever does four or six things. Everything in his life is always following what, one of these things. So, but it's important that when you're creating a vision, that your vision is, what would my relationship with my partner be? Maybe don't for partner. Who's the partner? What is my relationship with, with, with my children like to be? What does my free time look like? What does my social life look like? What does my fun look like? What does my health, my well-being? So envision for your life. Now, when you look for my vision, because wealth is number four in my values, that means not a day goes by that I'm not thinking about wealth, which means I'm not thinking about business, I'm not thinking about investment. I could sit on the beach and think about that, not because I feel I have to, but because it's high in my values, it's just what I'm driven driven to do. I will have you go to my apartment in Spain, you'll look, you'll look on the bookshelf, you'll see books and investment there. I could be in the beach reading one. It's my passion. But so when, but it's number four. So when, when I talk about vision, I would suggest make sure people include all the visions. So not vision, goals, Paul, not goals necessarily. We're talking about talking, the life you want to be living. Think about your life and the way you want to live it. Because now you have something to, to pull you forward. I'm in this life. I could be living that life. You've, ju you've just pulled back the curtains because yep. you're looking in a dark tunnel and suddenly you see the light. Oh, I'm heading toward this. It may be five or 10 years away. Or I don't know. It's, it's down. The, but now I'm heading in a different direction. You've just changed the direction very, very slightly. Once you've done that, I would suggest you then look at a plan. And the plan can be, what progress can I make in the next three months? Now, if I'm going, I want to, I'm picking money because it's easy. I want to 10x my income in the next 10 years. Um, I can still go, what, what, you know, what are three things I can do in the next three months that will move that forward? They could be simple things, but you, now you're taking the intangible division into tangible. So what, what three things I could do? So I would suggest, what's the big vision for your full life? What's the plan? Make sure the plan is for all areas of your life. How can I improve my relationship? How can I improve my health? How can I improve my business? So what's some steps I could take over the next three months for all of those? That's number two. The second, the number three is what's the immediate action plan? Out of those steps, what can I do tomorrow? I'm going to go back into the office or back home. What can I start doing tomorrow? It can be something small, but we're pulling back from a big, big vision into what's the tiny stuff. I can do one small thing tomorrow. I can open an, a brokerage account with an investor. I can open an investment account and I can put $100 in, $10, $1,000. doesn't make any difference. So what's one small thing? What's one small thing, thing you can do? Um, so there are your three steps. What's my big vision for all areas of my life? Um, what's a three-month plan? 
What can I start doing tomorrow? Because action is key. If you don't take action, not, nothing happens without, without, without action. And step four is that you get some consistency into this. And the consistency for me, and we talked this earlier, was scheduling a date in my diary where I'm going to plan and review. And I would suggest once a week, make it once a fortnight, but do not go beyond that if you go, okay, so now I have a grand plan. This is the grand plan for your life. When am I next reviewing this? I've action steps to take. And in two weeks' time, I'm going to, you know, Friday evening or Saturday morning from, you know, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., whatever, I don't care. I'm going to spend two hours reviewing reviewing this. So now, and if you get this diary, now you're getting this consistent working on this. If you do this and get consistently to it, how radically your life will change over that period of time you will not recognize yourself in six or 12 months time. That's my. Well, Paul, it's funny because I, I I don't, my process isn't exactly the same as what you described just now, but I do the same thing in a, in a different, but, but similar way. And, and the, the biggest component to it is, is that last piece that you said is consistency to it and checking back in. Like yeah. I do that on a weekly basis where I'm looking at, what I did on the week, looking at everything that I've done and then planning ahead for next week. And then on a monthly basis, you're looking at your overall goals. The, yeah. the power is constantly reflecting on yeah. what you're doing today, where you're going. And then because you're assessing the gap, right? Like, yeah. where am I? What am I trying to get to? And then the progress that I'm making and you can make small adjustments. But to your point, it, it, the power is consistently showing up, reviewing it, looking at it, taking action around it consistently. I think if you do that once a week, where you're look doing this pro like yeah. you're setting your process and then reviewing and then just doing that you will absolutely you look back a year from now doing that from a year your life is going compared to the years that you didn't do that yeah. it's it's yeah. like a different person you're creating a different person and a different person take has different thoughts different emotions different actions and leads to different outcomes and you create a different life what you said there is really important i think because what I'm doing is laying down a, a very specific four-step structure uh, or four steps because I'm going, someone is a state of confusion, they're decompressed, they're, you know, they're rabbit in the headlights, they're looking for looking for steps out. I'm going to go, here's a structure, latch onto the structure. But what you've nicely done is going, well, I, I'm, I'm getting the same thing, but I'm doing it slightly different. So what, so what people do, obviously I want people to do is, Create their own way. This is not about Paul Ryan's rules because that's irrelevant. It's create your own way. What we're starting with is that, but if you if someone's in a state of confusion and you go create their own way, it's like, I have no idea what that is. We're going, this is what it is. But you know what? Once you start thinking about this, you might go, I like to do this slightly differently. Beautiful. Do it differently. Do you know what? But just do it. <laughs> exactly. Just show up. Do the work. Make sure you're um, doing the work. Be authentic, and authentic means doing it your way. Don't do it my way, please. Do it your way. Be authentic and just do it. Exactly. I, but it's but Paul, to your point though, it's if this is new to you or if you're just starting out, it's fantastic having time. frameworks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lean into your framework and then take what works, change it up if you need to. But it's it's so important to just get started. Do the, do the framework often enough to create a pattern, so you create the habit. Now this is something you do. And, and as it's something you do, you create the nuances and you find your own way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, look, this was a heavy, this was a deep, another deep episode. I'm glad that we, we were curious ahead of time whether we were going to get through 
more than one of these topics. It looks like the nature of what we're doing is going to be one per piece just because there's so much to it. And we're not about just here's all the steps, go and do it. You no. can read books, do those things. That's There's a lot of stuff out there like that. We really want to get to the inner workings of successful entrepreneurship and what that means because there's not a lot of support for this way of operating in our world. And so we're hoping that this can be a safe, structured place for you to learn these inner skills because there's always going to be new challenges we face as entrepreneurs that this is going to require us to level up our business skills, quote unquote. That's actually easy. This part, the mental side, is what's extremely difficult to master. I agree. And, and I think when people only hand out the tools, which I think is what 99% of people do, they just hand out the tools. Then you go and go, I have the tools. Why can't I do this? Mm. Why isn't it working for me? And, oh, I'm a failure. I, I'll stop. Or you take the next course or the next book, which is fine. But if you keep trying to fix it, if, if the pro- challenge is in here and you keep trying to fix it out there, you can't, you, you can't fix it. So, to me, what we're trying to talk about in this podcast is the inner world, the inner life of the entrepreneur. And when I say an entrepreneur, what I mean is anyone who's trying to create something in the life, create some degree of success in their life. And the entrepreneur could be a mother who wants to create a great life for her ch- for her children. If it can be anything, it's but the entrepreneur to me is that creation spirit and once you're creating the the person who's successful and the person who's unsuccessful it will ultimately come down to an internal internal project uh, internal growth and that's that's what we're all about the inner journey the inner journey that takes you to external success because we want (laughs) both we want both that's it. That's right. I love I it. Hope that was a, I hope that was a, a, a value to the listeners. Oh, no, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm excited about it, Paul, because what we've done so far and where we are now is we've talked about the 10 phases of burnout. Yep. Well, now, now we're in the, the how do you course correct? So we've yep. come into stage one, step one, which is awareness. We just talked about stage two, which is decompression. Yep. We laid out a framework where you can start creating clarity in your life and, and yep. building a vision for what you want in your life. And then on our next episode, we're going to talk about the redirect, which yeah. is, I think we're going to, this is where we're really going to start getting into the more, of the, I think, kind of the meat and potatoes, yeah. if you will. But and um, I, think, I think where we finished, some of that was, we'll obviously drag into the redirect because in this process of, of planning is when you're getting into the, okay, I, I, I wasn't a mess. I became aware of it. I began to take myself down from that mess. And now to redirect is like, how do I create a new life? How do I set myself in a new plan? So I think they they they, they go smoothly into, into one another. Well, I'm looking forward to that next conversation, yes. Paul. As so I appreciate your time. So we'll, so we'll be back with another episode to cover the redirect as we continue to dive into the inner workings of the successful yes. entrepreneur. Paul, I really appreciate you, brother, and your time and Likewise, your energy Simon, and your insight. I appreciate you. Thank Hopefully you. the audience is feeling the same and we'll, we'll be back with you guys uh, soon. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Inner Entrepreneur. If you found value in our content, please consider liking, sharing, and subscribing. New episodes will be released every Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your attention and take care.